This is the Whirly Bear Productions podcast. I'm your host, Amber Williams. I discuss film finance and distribution with filmmakers and entertainment lawyers. Joining us on today's episode is Geraldine Maloney, a seasoned industry professional with four decades of rich experience. From her public affairs role with the Motion Picture Association in Europe to a pivotal stint as a senior advisor for the Film Distributors Association, Geraldine has championed countless film publicity campaigns, collaborating with major US studios and numerous global independent distributors. She's also armed with a law degree, an incredible journey, and I'm excited to delve into the multifaceted world of film from behind the scenes. Geraldine, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm very grateful and uh, honoured to have you here today. Thank you very much for asking me. So um, can you tell us a bit about your professional journey? Well, I've been in the industry for a very long time now. I started in the end of the 1970s working for an independent US distributor in London in a secretarial role. Um, At that time, I was a huge film fan. I obviously knew films got made at film studios and we saw them in cinemas, but I did not know what the middle bit was that got them from the studio to the cinema. So I didn't know anything about distribution. So that was a whole eye-opening experience. And I worked in the publicity department um, for a company which, which was called United Artists, which had a number of very sort of major releases and had released films which were films that I really admired and respected. Um, I must say that distribution at that time needed much more support and operational staff than it does now, because as you can imagine, so many processes are digitized, um, automated. Um, But at that time you did need quite a lot of people, whether it was in, moving the prints around, whether it was in finance. So um, distribution at that point, I think, was much more grounded than it is now because there were more entry points and it was more accessible for, you know, people off the street to get a job and eventually to develop a career. And I was fortunate enough to start in a secretarial role and progress from that through um, publicity and then international publicity and some marketing. Personally, I think that um, film publicity, in particularly for theatrical releases, you need to be really, really enthusiastic. You need to have a lot of energy. And I found as I got older that I had less energy and I moved away from the cold face of publicizing movies. So I moved to a public affairs facing role where I could use my experience and knowledge of the industry. Public affairs is really talking to government. So in a publicity role in a distribution company, you are talking to the public, you're talking to the consumer, everything is consumer facing. So it's a message about getting um, cinema goers to go to the cinema. So it's, it's really, really public facing, but public relations, public affairs is about working with government, um, trying to inform government of how the industry works, what the industry needs, how to encourage government to put in place 
the kind of infrastructure that enables whatever business you're in to flourish. So part of the public affairs role at the time would have been um, around trying to strengthen intellectual property laws about to fight piracy. So really, yeah, it's about informing government. It's about advising government on how the industry changes. It's about working with government in order for the, the, the sector to flourish. One of the things, one of the elements which was a threat to the industry and still is, but um, a lot has been done in this area now, was piracy. When we moved to, from, when technology moved um, to digital and you could copy um, intellectual property content very, very easily and very, very quickly, um, creative sectors were under threat as you will have experienced or will have seen with the music industry and similarly with the film industry. But working with government and representing the industry, legislation has been brought in that has provided greater protection mm -hmm. for intellectual property rights. And in a country where our economy is very much based on creative rights, and creative works that's really quite important could you talk more about the ip rights and how filmmakers are protected by ip rights well the whole of the film value chain is based on copyright and the way that the film industry works if you think of a film let's just say as a as a cake you've got a very very nice ghetto and that ghetto is very very expensive to make requires a lot of creativity from a lot of different people. In order to continue to make those cakes, you have to be able to recover the cost of making it and hopefully make a profit. So the way that that's done in the film industry is that the cake is cut into different parts. So you will have one piece of the cake which will be sold to be used in France or one piece of the cake which will be sold and to be exploited in Germany. And you'll have another piece of the cake which will be consumed, hopefully, in Scandinavia. Now, copyright enables you to do that. Copyright also enables you that within that slice of the cake, you can cut it even further so that you can separate the rights for, for monetizing the film within cinemas, with on, on television, on home entertainment. So intellectual property rights are really, really important to make sure all of that can be protected. Now, ultimately, the, the filmmaker, the rights emerge from the filmmaker, depending on what his relationship will be, whether he's making a film for a studio, in which the studio, he will be paid for making the movie, or she, will be the filmmaker will be paid for making the movie, and then the rights, and they may have some residual rights, some profit sharing, but the rights are then actually owned by the studio. In independent production, it's very, it's very different. The filmmakers will make the movie, they may have an international sales company, which will represent those rights, and then those rights will be 
sold for a limited period of time across a number of rights holders. Um, eventually, the rights may revert back to the producer, depending on what the original um, agreement was. But the only way that that can operate is that you've got intellectual property laws to protect those rights so that I know that I'm safe in buying the rights for a film that is made in France, knowing that nobody else in the UK can exploit those rights. I'm the only person who has it. Or similarly, I know that I'm film four and I own the rights to show the film on television for a limited period of time, possibly for so many showings, and no, no other TV station in the UK can claim those rights. So it's really, a, it's all about the security of for business to be able to invest, recover, and hopefully um, commercially work those work those rights so that people can make money because it is a business. It's all about making something profitable so you can continue to make something else. This we have, you know, specialist divisions within film industry, within film companies, and even within small um, independent companies that you would have a business affairs person, a lawyer, a, a business affairs person who would negotiate that. Um, I would expect that most of the time there are standard terms and conditions, and I would expect that there would also be advice for as from the filmmaker's perspective, I would think there would be advice from things like PACT. And if you were a writer, the Writers Guild. If you are a filmmaker negotiating um, a distribution deal with a distributor, that you would, it's important, it's like any other business contract, that you would get legal advice. And my recommendation is that you would find a company that does this, specialises, in film business rights and there there are a number of them in london as you can imagine they're not hard to find the other thing is you may as a filmmaker be better placed to have an international sales company representing you and then the sales company will be doing all of those kinds of negotiations for you um but in the situation that you do not have an international sales company representing you, it would be really a wise investment to have some sort of legal counsel advise you. But I do think there are probably standard terms and conditions. I think one of the elements that will come up is where you have a film that doesn't have a distributor and doesn't have an international sales company, and that the filmmaker is doing everything on their own, they really then need to look for somebody who does have some experience in booking films with cinemas for how, whatever kind of uh, release the film's gonna get. Having no information or having no experience of this, you really are at a, at a disadvantage. There are a number of independent consult consultants who will, um, you know, for a fee, 
or will enter a contract, they will represent your film and they will get theatrical bookings. And there are some companies that are actually like service companies for distributors who will be able to advise you. Um, can you describe your role and responsibilities at the Film Distributors Association? Yeah. The Film Distributors Association is the trade body for UK companies releasing films on cinema screens. I know that sounds a bit strange in today's um, world where we have so many different platforms, but the Film Distributors Association was launched in 1915. And at that time, as you will understand, there were only films on cinema screens. The reason for the creation of the trade association at that time was to fight piracy. That seems to be a recurrent theme in our business. Um, obviously, the companies, we have around 32, 35 member companies. Um, all of them will have other business revenues, other business platforms. They will have home entertainment channels. They'll have films on streaming. They may be making films for television. But the bit of the business that we are most engaged with is films in cinemas because that's a shop front for the film industry, whether in the UK or internationally. Um, my role at the FDA is, as I've mentioned, is on public policy. So advising the companies on particular public policy issues that may be arising. Um, also, if the industry feels that there is an issue that they need government help with in lobbying government, informing government about the challenges that the industry is facing. At the moment, the industry is facing the recovery from COVID. It's a very tough time, particularly for the UK independent distributors. So we are you know, looking at that. And my other area of focus is training. As I've been in the industry for so long, um, I do have an understanding, an overview of how the distribution sector works. And we're looking at ways in which we can help continual professional development training for people working in distribution to increase their skills in the way that CPD training exists for other parts of the, the commercial world. And that might be sort of management training, leadership training. It could be training on new technology. Um, so that's all, and that's really quite exciting because it means that I have a relationship with people coming into the industry, whether as first time entrants or people who have, who have been developing their careers or people who have been progressing their careers um, in distribution for the last sort of four or five or ten years, as well as the people that I've known throughout most of my professional life. Can you walk us through the process of film distribution? You really need to think about distribution from the beginning. Otherwise, it's like I could write a book and I can sit at home in my attic writing my book and leave it in a drawer. And that's fine. If, if I'm happy in the process of writing, that's fine. 
but also it's the only thing that has taken is my time, the cost of the paper and the cost of the ink. For a film, it has to engage with that audience. I mean, you can make your own home movies. You don't have to show it to anybody. But if you're going to make something that is going to require the involvement of other people and filmmaking is very collaborative, it will require some kind of investment. Now, the investment maybe is on a scale of economy, but if it's a small budget film, that's usually still a considerable investment. Distribution is the first step in the film value chain. It's about engaging films with audiences and ensuring that the audience can find the film in the first place. And we want them in that first, at my part of the business, we want them to see that on a cinema screen. And I think most filmmakers want people to see films on a cinema screen for that shared immersive experience. However, it's also about maximising the value of the film across all available release platforms. Because as much as I think you should see a film on a big screen, there are other people who the big screen experience is not the one that they most value. They might value seeing it at home in their own um, home surroundings with everything under their control. Um, and it's about, distribution is about engaging with audiences to ensure that can happen. Now, one of the things that is really, really important is, is there an audience for that film? And then where is that audience to be found? Because if it's an audience that doesn't go to the cinema, then you really are going to be looking at engaging with the audience on some other platform. Maybe it will be on television. Years ago, it might have been straight to DVD. And certain movies you knew would get a really good audience if they were presented in a certain way, if people could purchase them with their weekly shopping on a Friday or a Saturday in Sainsbury's or Tesco's. That's no... That's not to say that wasn't, you know, an important movie. It's a story that's being told and that's the way of reaching that audience. So one of my first, first comments, and I think everybody in distribution would echo this, is you need to think about your audience and you need to think about how the film's going to reach that audience at the beginning point of your production process. So please don't think about it as an afterthought. It should be up there right at the beginning. So basically from a distribution point of view, you're looking at a film or a concept. It might be a script, it might be an idea. Um, and your the first question is going to be, who's the audience? Is there an audience? How can we reach the audience? Um, once you've got an idea of about that you're then looking at how you're going if you decided it does have an audience if you've decided you do want to get involved with it you're going to think about what shape release you know will it have a traditional release where it is only available in cinemas for a, a specific amount of time is it going to have um the more recent kind of release which is a shorter theatrical window 12 12 weeks and um, with the film being available premium VOD within say 10 weeks it could be an event cinema release where you actually have the film showing 
uh, on a short period of time, days, um, and in a in a cinema, and then available on a streaming platform. So you you think about the film, you think about where you reach your audience, and you decide what kind of release you should have. Have you know if you decide that it does that a cinema release would work whatever shape that cinema release would take. But if you decide that's what you would like to go for, you need to decide a release date. And that's decided looking at all the competitive titles. If you look at the FDA, and I'm not promoting this because it's the FDA, but it's something that's in the public domain. We have a calendar of releases, which goes through probably 10 years. It's not full at 10 years, but there are releases going next year, 2025, 2026. So you can see what the releases are out there. So release date is decided. Screenings are arranged for ex exhibition, film bookers or programmers, and then negotiations take place for screens. From an operational perspective, the film has to be classified by the British Board of Film Classification. Digital file of the film has to be mastered, created. It has to be copied. DCPs sometimes, but not all these days, because sometimes things are sent out on fibre. Film files are sent out on fibre or satellite, but DCPs created. And the film has to be delivered. One of the big things that filmmakers need to bear in mind is there are very, very, very many films looking to be released in the UK. If you look at the calendar, some weeks there are 16, 15, 16 movies being released. That's on a weekly basis. Pre-COVID, there were weeks there were 22 movies were released. So there is a there's real competition for cinema screens. And the multiplexes are looking for films that will fill their multiplexes and will give them significant footfall so that the value of their trailer reel and their advertising reel is monetized so that their concessions are sold. So most of the time the multiplexes are looking for films where they're going to be tentpole releases. They're not looking so much for the very specialised small movies. They're looking for movies where the public's going to come, which is where you get the art house divide. But then, of course, the art houses need to survive. And they're all... All of the exhibition is under a lot of pressure at the moment because of rising um, energy prices, um, audience numbers so everybody needs to maximize their cinema seats so you'll find art house art house cinemas actually playing mainstream tentpole movies but they need those revenues in order to survive so filmmakers do need to realize that it's a very very competitive marketplace and each new release is a prototype. This is why a lot of uh, major players are looking to their back catalogues 
or are looking for brands or franchises because that reduces the risk of launching a prototype into the cinemas that people don't come to see, people don't understand. It's not like launching a new chocolate bar that if you didn't like the wrapping, if you didn't like the advertisement, give us six months and we can represent it to you. You can't do that with film, which is why it's at the moment reliant on franchises and why it's very challenging for independent filmmakers because there's, an, there's a very, very big investment and a very, very, very big risk of releasing those films. So you've done your negotiations and you've got some cinema screens. The film has been classified. The film is in cinemas ready to play. Now, why is anybody going to come? Well, that's when obviously the marketing comes in and a whole marketing campaign has to be created, which may, which may include the creation of marketing and publicity assets. That could be a trailer. It could be digital artwork um, for potential promotional partners and strategies. Mostly this will be short term because long term promotional partnerships take years to set up. It's again why you have the franchises that they know in 2025 mission impossible the next mission impossible will be released so they've got 18 months to set that promotional partnership up for most independent movies they don't have that lead time so a lot of the promotional partnerships are smaller shorter in duration but in the fact that they may contribute to the release costs of the film or they contribute to the awareness within a certain audience that's really, really valuable. Um, media strategy has to be decided. Going back to who is your audience, where are you going to be marketing? If you're going to be trying to reach somebody like me who is older, you may still think about doing a mainstream television ad. You might still be doing an ad in newspapers. Whereas if you wanted to really reach my 23 year old nephew, you're probably going to be all online and can you do ads within games and things like that so where is your audience how do we reach them how much have we got to spend because you can only spend to a certain level depending on how much money you think the film will make and this is like playing roulette is the film going to make this amount of money how do we know well the only thing we can do is to try to analyze using previous releases so if you've got a mission impossible movie and there's been two or three before you'd have some sort of comparison however that's more complicated now because of covid when we didn't have anybody at cinemas for you know 18 months to two years when that two-year gap has really impacted on audiences so planning your marketing campaign you're trying to analyze risk versus reward. Um, the media strategy is usually decided in consult consultation with a media agency who have access to lots of data and what's been advertised on other movies and what audiences went to see this release. So that's really valuable. 
you'll have a digital strategy because there's so much digital. Even if the film is for an older audience, there will be a digital strategy. It may be a smaller digital strategy than one for an older audience, but there will be one. There'll be a publicity campaign. Have, does the movie feature on-screen talent that could do publicity work for you? Have you got somebody that would be could be on Graham Norton? Um, social media. Social media is so important. E again, even for older audiences, there's some social media that it's, it's really important. Everybody's uh, to some level is on social media. The weight of the social media campaign, again, will depend on the audience that you're trying to reach. And are they Taylor Swift fans? Are you releasing a new Taylor Swift movie? If you have got a fan base, then they're easier to engage. They're easier to, they, you know where they are. You can engage with them. And a lot of the social media now is about user-generated marketing, creating assets that social media uses, users can use amongst their own social media circle to promote that message even further. And then we have review screenings, media screenings, festival launch. One thing that I didn't mention when we were talking about what shape release would be, is it a festival movie? There are and different categories of films. And, you know, fest, there are festival movies out there. Will a festival give your movie a launch to the correct audience that you're identifying? Downside of being in a festival is there are lots of other movies that are similar in tone that you are putting your film in competition with other festival screenings, other festival films. You have to work out balance which is best for you. Also these days, we now have, you know, whole campaigns about film awards. So is your film an awards movie? Usually that's something that has significant acting talent is usually quite serious high production values and again all of that doesn't necessarily have to be budget specific we've had smaller budget films that have done very very well in recent years such as coda such as rocks but again your release uh, strategy and your marketing strategy will be influenced by if it's a festival screen if it's a festival film or if it's an awards film and then you put the film in cinemas and you're waiting to see who goes. Now, for a distributor, and filmmakers need to understand this, for a distributor, they have spent most of their money up front. So on that Friday, Wednesday, sometimes when it opens, but on that Friday that the film opens, an awful lot of money has gone out the door. Classification fees, media fees, publicity costs, screening costs. All of that money has gone out of the door. And you're waiting then to see what the returns are going to be in terms of your rentals from cinemas. So you're hoping against hope that people are going to go to see the movie on those first early screenings on Friday and Saturday, by, by Friday. By Friday evening, multiplexes can tell 
what the kind of level of footfall is. It's all computerized. They know. So there wasn't many people in for the 12 o'clock screening. And there wasn't many people in for the 3.30 screening. And now we've got the six o'clock screening. They may be deciding to reduce the number of programs later that week, later that weekend, which will impact on, of course, the money that the distributor is able to recover. One of the most dreadful things in the UK you can have is the first good weekend of summer. No one goes to the cinema. <laughs> you know, if you get really, really bad winter weather and people can't get out of their house because it's snowed, that's your weekend gone. And the exhibitors don't say, oh, okay, Geraldine, we'll let you have another weekend because the weather was good. You know, again, they've been impacted because they've had not anybody in their cinemas and they need to recover that because they've got that huge, great building to be heating, ventilating, running the electricity on. So it's really, really tough. So it's, it is like playing roulette. I'm going to open my movie on the 28th of March. I'm going to spend, if we talk about a small independent movie, I'm going to spend £80,000 on getting that film into the marketplace. And on that next Monday after the 28th of March, whatever that would be, 1st of April or something, <laughs> April Fool's Day, um, I'm not getting any money back. Now, up until recently, if you wanted your film to play in a cinema in the UK, you had to have a very distinct theatrical window that the film could not be available on home entertainment for four months. So at that point, you've got four months when all of your money's gone out the window and you've got no way of recovering any of that for four months until it gets out onto home entertainment. One of the consequences of COVID and that distribution were having to release films online because there was no other alternative, particularly for specialised distribution and for the independent sector. Um, those windows now have changed. As I mentioned earlier, you can now have a window where the film is available earlier than 16 weeks. Um, and there have, there's been, during COVID, there have been a number of experiments with virtual screenings and various things that are happening. So that has changed, but it is still a huge risk for distributors on, as I say, on a prototype, bringing it to market and hoping people will come. Does that help? Does that answer the kind of process of film distribution? Yeah, that was excellent. Excellent answer. Very detailed. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, where do the films shown at independent theatres get picked up for distribution? This is quite complicated. Basically, there are only so many sources. If you're an independent distributor, there are only so many sources for you to acquire films. If you're a studio, you've got a pipeline. It's like a tap. There are films coming through it all the time. But as independent distributor, and there are very few actual independent distributors in the UK these days, you may have a production arm 
yourself or you may have participation in a production arm. So a company such as Vertigo, um, who releases films in the UK, they have relationships in with production that feeds through films to their distribution mm. um, arm. Um, you acquire movies from film markets, like um, there's a film market at Cannes, as well as the film festival, there is a film market. There is a film market at Berlin, as well as there being a festival. They are separate. They are in the place at the same time. But people go to the film markets to acquire films. Um, films can be sold out, out of festivals, such as Toronto. The UK has something called London Screenings for independent British movies. And they, the British Film Commission invites um, a whole selection of international sales agents to London to look at those films to, to potentially buy them. Um, film sales companies have relationships with distributors who know what they're looking for. You know, we know this company always likes horror movies. We like, we know this company likes co comedies. Um, the film sales companies have relationships with particular filmmakers so that if you are going to be buying, looking for a Mike Lee film, you know who represents Mike Lee. So that's one of the ways. So you can have have uh, access to productions. You can go to film markets. You've got international sales companies. You then have um, relationships with individual filmmakers. And if you work with filmmakers, this is one thing that filmmakers do need to understand. Distributors like having relationships with filmmakers. They like to know that the next great movie that a filmmaker is going to make, they're going to bring to me rather than think I've worked with them for the last two movies and now they're going to somewhere, somewhere else. So there really isn't a, uh, a kind of relationship where one is looking to, you know, take advantage of the other. It, it needs to be, it's a, the relationship because of the copyright nature and the sharing, the, the, the sharing of rights, the, the relationship is very much a partnership. If the film does well, everyone does well. So <clears throat> you can acquire movies in that way. Sometimes they will, you know, look at films um, that are sent through to them. Sometimes they may consider scripts that are sent through to them. But it depends on the company and it depends on the project. One of the things is, it's really difficult to get huge numbers of unsolicited movies and unsolicited um, scripts and and ideas. There are some companies that will still look at things, but it, it is it is hard. So basically, there's three routes. You either have a production uh, partnership, you either have an international sales company selling it to you, you may see it at a market. Um, Alternatively, if there is some other way that you that someone can get you to see the movie. But going back to what I was saying, the film has to be very good. Okay. Just remember what I've said about the huge risk and the sheer number of movies. And also, who is the audience? And sometimes not enough attention has been paid to that. Who is the audience for this film?
I think that's the answer I've got for that. Is that helpful? Yeah, for sure. What shifts do you see taking place within distribution currently? Do you know what? I'm not sure. Um, At the time of COVID, I thought that the distribution sector would contract, but it hasn't. It's changed shape. Over the years, distribution has expanded and contracted, expanded and contracted. Um, It has changed shape recently. We've recently lost E1, which was one of the multinationals with an independent flavour. That might sound strange, but it had originated as an independent UK company. And then through a number of different iterations had become part of a multinational media company and then was sold to Hasbro. And Hasbro dismantled the film distribution part of it. It wasn't part of its plan. So over the years, E1 had, and previously to that had been known as Momentum, had been a big supporter of independent British movies and some world uh, foreign language titles too. So the loss of that company is, I think, quite a major blow. Some of the films that we think of as independent British films would have been would have started life with momentum, um, would have come through E1, and they had a specialisation in distributing those kind of movies. Um, and I think they're lost. So that is one big change. On the other side, um, there are independent distribution companies still forming. So as much as I say it's a huge challenge, there are people out there still prepared to take that risk. But I see it consolidating around sort of two two areas. One very, very specialised, very small budget British movies. And then sort of a middle ground, which is very hard it's easier to work on very, very, very big films and very, very small films. But the middle ground is hard. But I think that is still one of the areas that there will be some growth in. One of the things independent British film needs to have, it needs to have more of an idea of scale. And recently that it's been difficult because of the way the industry has gone because of the challenges of getting independent British films made now, it's very tricky. As everybody knows, studio space is at a premium because it's all been taken up by the larger companies. Um, production talent are all being taken up with high-end television, streamers, and again, tentpole movies. Um, in front of camera talent, similarly, it's it, it's very difficult it's very difficult now at a time when the british production sector is booming it's very difficult for independent british productions to be finding its place um but we do need a sense of scale it, we can't keep making very very small small films maybe there's more to be done by the bbc and channel 4 as um, public being funded by the public to support this, although they're obviously doing a lot anyway. 
it's tricky to see where we will be in the next four or five years. Um, maybe greater consolidation. Obviously, while streamers are competitors, they're competitors for your time, they're competitors for you to be able to see movies. Why should I go out to see a movie tonight when I can watch X film on X streaming service? However, in the UK, we've always had that challenge. Why should I go out to see a movie at my local cinema when I could stay home and watch the BBC? We've always had strong television. Why should I go and see a cinema or go to see a film when I can watch a football match? Not, not that I personally ever would, but we've always had competition. So it's that's nothing new. The competition now, of course, it's not just your available time. It's about your disposable income. If you're paying for a streaming service, that may mean less money to buy a cinema ticket. So that's we've got to be practical about. But streaming services have offered film companies another potential revenue stream. So again, there are mm -hmm. swings and roundabouts. And what else do you think can be done to strengthen the UK independent film industry? We need to re-engage the audience with British film. And when I say re I, I don't mean just that from theatrical distribution, although that's where it should start. We really need to have a compelling campaign to engage British audiences with the British cultural voice on film, compelling campaign strategy, which needs to run quite for quite a while. It's not something that you can oh, run for two days and it's like electricity. You either turn the light on and there's light and you turn it off again and there isn't. You need that message. And I think that's a challenge for both the industry and government. If it's something we value and from public policy, you know, film, whether in cinemas or on, on other platforms, has always been viewed as something important for social cohesion and the importance of their cultural voice, you know, shouldn't be forgotten. We have a challenge in the UK that we have we share a language with the US, but our cultural voice is not the same and we shouldn't lose that distinction. And that cultural voice, you know, develops and changes over time. I'm not saying it's necessarily an English cultural voice, but it is a cultural voice of the United Kingdom. And that cultural voice might very well be different if you're speaking from Tyneside or if you're speaking from Devon. Or, you know, it's not just a London-centric um, voice. And I think the idea of taking things outside of the southeast is important, although the business hub is still the southeast. Um, but I do think we need some sort of campaign to get people to value storytelling. And, you know, I'd really like you to do that 
first of all, by coming to the cinema. That's that, I think. That was great. Really well said. Love it. To what extent are cinemas recovering after the COVID pandemic? How is it looking? There are a number of answers to this. And I want to be a glass half full, not a glass half empty. Yes, Um, please. If we can talk pre-summer, well, I'll come back to talking about the summer. Pre-summer, audiences, we were at like 75% of pre-COVID audiences. So that was good, you know. And again, personally, I thought it might take people longer to come back, but that that was good. And compared to other countries in Europe, such as Italy, um, we're way, way ahead of them. We're not so in France, but then France has a long history of support for local language films, local productions, local French identity. So 75% is, is good. But, and even pre-COVID, um, people were going out to see tentpole movies and occasionally something else, but not much else. So movies were really, really quite polarised. You know, you went to see the latest superhero movie. You went to see the latest Pixar film or or whatever. Um, and everything, a lot of the things in, in the middle were not doing terribly well. Now, if I go back to the 80s and the 90s, I know it seems a very long time ago for you, but let me tell you, it really wasn't. People went out to see many more different kinds of films. The challenge we have as, a, as an industry is, you know, on average, per capita, people go to the cinema, you know, 2.8 times a year. Um, I have just made that up, but it's roughly around that. If we say three times a year, that's per capita. Um, people go to make one, you know, they make two or three choices. How do you get them to see a fourth film? This is what's quite difficult is getting people to see other films. Now, I said pre-summer. This summer was fantastic, obviously, with Barbie and Oppenheimer doing really well and some other movies as well doing doing quite well. So things are, are good. Things are good and people are going back to the cinema. We just need to get them to go back more and we need them to see a wider variety of films. Now, there are two challenges there. First of all, I do realise that there's a cost of living crisis. I do realise that it's cinema tickets can be expensive. The only thing I would say is that if you do look around, there are usually discount days. There are usually discount offers. Um, th- th- there are ways of going to see movies at a cinema where you're not paying full price for the tickets. Um, you probably need to talk to your look at your local cinema and see what they're offering. So I really do understand that. That's the first point. The second point is the diversity of film that is on offer at your cinema. Now, you may be somewhere where there are only multiplexes. Um, You may be somewhere where there are multiplexes and art house cinemas, but your art house cinema is not your cinema going home. Your cinema going home is, is the multiplex. Completely understand that. And sometimes there isn't a variety of film on offer 
there might only be two titles. Also, you need people need to understand that films don't hang around for very long. If you want to see a movie, you need to get to see it. This, oh, I'll come back. I'll see that next Wednesday. It probably, for reasons we've already discussed, it probably won't be on next Wednesday. So as an audience, we need to get to see things more spontaneously rather than thinking, oh, next week I'll do that. Or plan it out, look at what's happening and try to, the other thing I would, obviously I'm going to say this because it's my business, really say to people to try and re-engage with going to the cinema. Try and make a day or a time that would work for you, you know, once a month. And try to get back into going to the cinema and find things that you might otherwise have missed. So, but as far as going back to the pre-COVID, post-COVID, we're getting there. We're getting there. What have you done consistently throughout your career that has kept you on track and progressing? You've had a fantastic career, a very long, successful career. So what are some of your secrets? um, I would say, this is going to sound really strange, but I don't think of it as a career. I think of it as a series of jobs, okay? When I left school in 1976, People who had careers were doctors and accountants, you know, and I came from a particular background that I needed to work, I needed to have a job. And I've been very lucky that I've had a series of jobs. They've progressed, but I've always thought of it. Think of that, put that down to my generation, being a female from the 70s in the workforce, 70s and 80s, when I came to work, there wasn't equal pay for women. So I don't think of it as a career. I've had a series of jobs. I would say to women in the industry now, definitely think of it as a career. There are so many great people in the industry, not just women, who have got, from all kinds of backgrounds, who have got a career and a sustainable career in the industry. So it is very much... um, a place to come to work, you can build a sustainable career. I think for myself, I think the fact that I was enthusiastic and also I was reliable. Um, I have a training scheme. And one of the things I say to young people coming into the industry, and it's particularly difficult, no, it's particularly challenging with generations coming through now, is you have to be reliable. When you're working in a small industry, in a small company, they're expecting you to do something. If you're not here to do it, it's not gonna get done. So I do really think that enthusiasm, reliability were probably my two biggest factors. And people might find this hard to believe that know me, but I think that I was relatively easy to get on with. Um, I think that's also something that is really, really undervalued. You want to have people, and I only say this from my perspective of working with people, you want to have people you're going to get on with. And um, so I think that would be kind of the secret to my longevity. Yeah, that's true. You do want to work with people that you get along well with. Yeah. You either want, want people to be, people are two things. 
you're either part of the problem or part of the solution and you want to be working with people who are part of the solution mm. and on time I can't bear yeah. people that are late and I hate being late myself no absolutely Awful. I'd like to say this this is something that I say and a number of my colleagues who've come through on the same sort of background that I have and we keep thinking that we don't have to say it anymore and we really really do is for filmmakers please provide first rate professional photographic material and the emphasis is professional um, for your movies really the most underrated things that I find from independent filmmaking is the importance of photography because and I this is still photography the film might look fantastic on the screen and then when you see the stills photography that you're going to use to promote the movie it's really really poor it's the first thing that the sales companies will be presenting when they're trying to sell the movie it's the first thing that the public will see it may well provide the digital artwork with which the film would always be associated. So really, really, really please, could you get professional stills photographers and use them properly? One of my expectations is that when they're doing a budget and they're having to make budget cuts, publicity requirements are probably one of the first things that get cut. And you can't recover those things afterwards. You really can't. So that is one thing where we say, please, 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 professional stills photography. That's some great advice. What are common mistakes filmmakers make when trying to distribute their films? First of all, the clue is in the question. Ideally, filmmakers should play to their creative strengths and make films. Distribution should be recognised as a very separate skill set. Um, I don't know that there are common mistakes, but where there are films that are being self-distributed by a filmmaker, the recur there, there is a recurring theme of a lack of understanding of how distribution actually works. You know, the relationship between distribution exhibition and the sheer number of titles competing for cinema audiences. And the other thing is, and this is always something that comes up, is a failure to identify and understand the potential audience. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, this is for females, 15 to 35. And it's kind of like, really? <laughs> the difference between a 15-year-old female and a 35-year-old female is huge. Similarly, if it's males. Or oh, who's the audience? Everyone. Yeah, right. So you know, drilling down to the audience is really, really important. And it may, it may well be you've got a movie that's about Taylor Swift and maybe you don't need to drill down further than oh, Taylor Swift fans. But then you do need to know Taylor Swift fans who come to the cinema, Taylor Swift fans who would go to a concert, or Taylor Smith fans who, Swift fans who actually buy the music as opposed to, so there's everything you need to, to to drill to drill down on your audience. And that is, you know, a, quite a common mistake. What key elements do distributors typically look for um, in a film before deciding to distribute it? It's the business. So the first question 
which some people find offensive, is will it make any money? You know, that's what it, it's a business. It needs to make money. We're going to spend money on it. We need to make money back. And we hopefully are going to recover some money so that will cover our overheads. And hopefully there'll be some money to go back to filmmakers. So will it make any money? And that question is really analysing whether there is an audience, who is the audience, and where and how to reach them. The answers to that question will affect the decision on whether or not to distribute it and what the distribution strategy, strategy should be. Now, it may well be that we do want to distribute it and we will give it, you know, a limited theatrical opening and then it will go onto a streamer or we will distribute it and we will do an event cinema type um, launch and then for it to be available on a streamer. So there are different patterns, but the big question is, will it make money? That's been absolutely fantastic. There's so much information in there that's going to be really, really helpful and valuable to the audience. They're going to I love just, it. And if there's anything else I can help you with, just let me know. Lovely. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant having you on the show. I'm very, very grateful. My pleasure. You take care, darling. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you. Okay. okay bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you found our content insightful and valuable, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Your support not only keeps the show running, but also unlocks exclusive premium content just for our cherished subscribers. Head to our Patreon page now. You can go to our website at whirlybearproductions.com forward slash podcast or through our Instagram page at filmfinancepodcast and follow the link in the bio. This week's Patreon subscribers will get an insight from Geraldine as to what it is like to have a career in distribution, the reasons people join the industry, what they love about working in distribution and why the majority of them never leave. Thank you for listening.